Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause, doing something just a little bit different this week. Instead of having the usual panel where we talk about what Justin Bieber's up to or the color of Beyonce's hair this week, we're doing something different. We have just one guest, but what a guest. It's Linwood Barkley, uh, the author. You know this name. If you follow Stephen King's Twitter feed alone... <laughs> You know this name. Linwood Barkley is an author. Uh, he's a New York Times uh, and number one international best-selling author of 16 critically acclaimed novels, including The 23, uh, Far From True, and Broken Promise. Uh, his novel Never Saw It Coming has been made into a film, which we'll talk about. And we're here to talk about two new books. It seems to me that you have a book coming out about every week, and maybe it's just because I follow you on social media, and there's other editions coming out, or a paperback edition comes out, but I'm like, I often think to myself, how many books can one man write? Because you have two books that we're going to talk about today. One is called A Noise Downstairs. It's a new thriller, uh, and the subtitle is It's Not What You Think, so we have to figure out what that's all about. And then Escape, which is a young adult novel, so there's lots to talk about here, Um, but let's go back and sort of set the stage a little bit with people first. Um, you say that you knew that you wanted to be a writer when uh, you were in about grade three. Yeah. Uh, so people in grade three want to play with their tricycles, and I don't know what people in grade three want to do, but they don't often want to be writers. Well, I mean, I wanted to do all that too, you know, by uh, to goof around and play with my trains and all that kind of stuff. But I really did start writing stories. Um, around grade three, I think it was. And, you know, we, remember, remember we used to get those little Hillroy notebooks yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as kids. And I would, I could fill a Hillroy notebook with one story. Now, of course, I had big, huge, chunky handwriting and I was double spacing. <laughs> so it was probably no more than a hundred words. Double spacing back then. Double spacing. Was, you know, you know? I was a professional author. But I, and I sometimes would do my own illustrations for them too, you know, right. but, um, so I started doing it then. And, and I think around grade Grade six, it really, I really started to just, I was churning out stuff for my own entertainment like crazy. And what were you reading around that time that made you want to do it? I, I started reading adult novels very early. Uh, the children's books and that kind of thing, young adult, I guess it would have been called, yeah. um, didn't appeal to me that much. So I started just borrowing my parents' books. And that's what I think gave me the love of, of reading and writing. But what was it for you? Well, I think the first books I really remember reading like voraciously were the Hardy Boys series. Yeah. And, but around grade six, seven, I started into, uh, I, I guess, adult books. I was started reading Agatha Christie. Right. And I started, I discovered the, uh, the Rex Stout's novels about Nero Wolfe, and I started devouring those. And so I was reading all of those kinds of things at, at around that age, although... You know, this is not necessarily what people want to hear. They think, well, I'm sure you were inspired by Dickens and Tolstoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. What really got me excited about writing was television. Right. I mean, I just had, I was addicted to all sorts of great shows on TV, and in particular shows like The Man from Uncle and Mission mm-hmm. Impossible. And so at the age of 11, say, um, an episode a week of The Man from Uncle wasn't enough for me. I had to create my own adventures to keep... So fan fiction It's exactly what we call fan fiction now. So, and I think when I was in about grade five, I asked my dad to teach me, to, you know, how to type. And my dad gave me a five-minute lesson on how to type because I, I, handwriting was taking too long. (laughs) And so at about about the age of 11 or 12, I would be typing out like 35, 40-page novellas based on these other characters that others, you know, had created. Yeah. Um... And so I was, I was writing those like I think I wrote novellas on Mannix and and <laughs> I did and actually mid teens I was writing Columbo fan fiction. Well, Columbo kind of is the greatest television oh. show 
ever, in ever. my opinion. It's just, so. it's just, he's the best TV detective in yep. history. Yep. And, and I would, I'd love, I always, I always gauge the Columbo. The best Columbos were the ones that had the best last five minutes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you could watch a great one, a great star, but if it didn't have that payoff at the end, that was, it was, wasn't worth watching. And, uh, and I always have this list of ones that have the best payoffs. Like even, like, you know, Steven Spielberg directed a Columbo mm-hmm. and it's very, it's, it's, has, it's so much better than the other ones in the way it's directed right. and acted and shot. It's beautiful. And yet the ending is totally limp. And, and so it's not, it's not in my top 10. It's funny, though. It's the, for me, and we'll get back to talking with Linwood Barkley about Escape, Don't Stop Running, and A Noise Downstairs is two new books in a second. But got to talk about Columbo because oh, yeah. nobody else fanboys out with me uh, about <laughs> Columbo. <laughs> no one else. Uh, and my wife is a recent convert to it. Mm-hmm. They're on television again. We've been I, typing I have, all, I have all of them on DVD. I have a number of them on DVD, uh, but she would never watch them. And now she's starting to get into the rhythm of it. And part of it for her, I think, she's a little bit younger and she wasn't, I I think she loved seeing like Leslie Nielsen walk into a bar and say, I'll have a scotch and a pack of cigarettes. And the bartender would say, that'd be a dollar 95, sir. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing seems like she was watching a history lesson. I think that's what kind of grabbed her. Uh, But now it's the character and the stories and the way that they play out. They take their time getting where they're going. And it's interesting because you know who the killer is in the first five minutes. And then it's all about him, Columbo, and the process of getting to the payoff at the end. And that's really interesting. I know. It turns the whole formula around. It's not who did it. It's how they'll get caught. Yeah. And and they varied the formula a couple of times when they, you know, Columbo's were all sort of in the late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. mid all through the 70s. And then late 80s, early 90s, they brought back and did a few. And a couple of them, they varied the formula and where you didn't know. And those, they're terrible. Yeah. Like, they're just unwatchable. It's, it's a, it is a very formulaic show, but if you just, you can't stray from it. It doesn't work if you stray from it. I think that all the great police dramas are formulaic. And yeah. I think that they kind of have to be law and order, no matter which one it is, whether it's criminal intent or yeah. SUV or whatever, you know, 23 minutes in, the crime has been committed and then, you know, there's a break and then you start with the uh, with the uh, order or the law part. And, and for me, um, there's something comforting about yeah. that. Is there a danger for you when you, because you write so many books and come up with so many stories of formula getting in the way, or is it part of well, is it's it part of the gig. It's kind of a balance. I mean, we, I was talking last night with someone about Lee Child, who's mm-hmm. a terrific thrill writer, very successful, and he's. You could argue that he's very formulaic. Jack Reacher, has, you know, wanders into a small town and yep. something happens, <laughs> and so when you go into one, you think, well, I want those things that I expect and that I find comforting. It's like comfort food. But you still want a story that's new. And and so when I'm writing, it's like, I, 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 don't, I, I don't like to think that I'm writing formula, but I know that I have my certain style and the way mm-hmm. I do things. So the challenge is how can I write a book that will satisfy what people want or expect from me, but but for myself even keep it fresh or do something that's a little bit different. You know, like, I mean, I'm working on a book now that, that is, you know, I'm, I'm in the early stages, but it's a bit different for me. It's more like a Michael Crichton kind of a thriller. And Are there dinosaurs? No. Is someone in a coma? I'm not telling <laughs> I'm not, I'm not tell you. But it's a bit more like that. So yeah. it's a bit different than the other things, but it has all the other things you might expect, which is a sort of a sense of momentum and lots of twists and so forth. But so you want, you want to do what people expect, but you don't want to repeat yourself either. 
So we were talking about you filling up notebooks with with your writing and that kind of thing. Uh, what did you think you'd actually be able to make a living doing it? Because it's one thing to be a kid and write and create stories. It's part of what kids do. Their imaginations are fertile. They're running wild at that moment. Not all kids write it down, but, you know, uh, storytelling is part of being a kid, being a fabulist. Uh, when did you think, wow, I can actually type and people will pay me for the words? Well, I think it was sort of a stage. I think that, uh, well, first of all, I, when I was in high school, I think it was grade 11 or so, grade 12, there was a position you could run for on council where you wrote that week's news from the school and all the local paper. I was okay. I went to high school in Fenelon Falls, and so I was I, I it, when I was in grade eleven I was syndicated because I was in Bob Cage Independent. <laughs> I was in, I was in the Fenelon Falls Gazette. I was in the Lindsay Post and wow. the Peterborough Examiner. Wow. So I had a syndicated column in grade eleven, and uh, so that was the first time. I, and they actually and then I discovered that the Examiner would pay you, so you would get like seven dollars, which is actually almost about the same as what they paid when I got hired there on a staff position years later, <laughs> but. Um, but and probably uh, what they're paying today again. I, pretty close, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think that at some point in my teens, I thought there was a future where you could get paid mm -hmm. to do this. And and uh, like I say, I mean, I was one. I thought I want to write for television. That's what I was thinking I wanted to do at that time, which there is, you know, surprisingly, there's not a huge demand for in Fenland Falls, but. Um, but but that's what I wanted to do, and I and in my own small way, I was kind of reaching out. I I somehow connected with uh, there was a writer back then uh, named Graham Woods, who's who's still around, last I heard, who had written a novel I think called Bloody Harvest, and he had uh, he was writing for 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 television, and I somehow managed to connect with him and go and see him and talk to him when I was still in high school, I think, and and in university I I met and chatted with a guy. Uh, who had written, if you remember, can you remember Star Lost? That yeah, 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 yeah. Who'd written an episode of Star Lost. And so I got to talk to him. And and I had reached out and I became, I became, I had a long correspondence with Kenneth Miller, who under the name Ross MacDonald wrote the yeah. Archer novels. At university, I became very good friends and, uh, with the writer-in-residence. That's how I first met her, with Margaret Lawrence. And so I was kind of making these very tenuous connections with people who did make a living writing. So I knew that it was possible. And in my late teens, early 20s, I started writing novels and sent them out to all the major publishers. And, and thankfully, they were all rejected. <laughs> We'd hate to think they could have been published. Um, but I mean, I, at 22, I got a job in newspapers at The Examiner. So I thought, I got, I thought well, I, if I can't make it at 22 as a TV writer or a, a, you know, a best-selling novelist, which would have been ridiculous, I thought, at least you can get paid money to write every day at a newspaper. Right. And we've just got a minute left in this segment, but writing every day uh, is like flexing a muscle, yeah. right? It gets stronger yeah. the more you do it. And, you know, when you're writing every day, banging out a column like you did for decades, mm. uh, it, it, you have to come up with an idea. There are days when you have no ideas, but you just can't <laughs> run a blank no. spot in the newspaper. And that, I think, is probably invaluable. Yeah, very much. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with Linwood Barkley. We have to talk about uh, the process a little bit. I want to know uh, why and how you are able to write as much as you do. Uh, it, the the uh, volume, the sheer volume of it kind of uh, blows my mind a little bit. <laughs> 
The books that we'll talk about, There's a Noise Downstairs and It's Not What You Think. Uh, that one's for adults. Mm-hmm. For a younger audience, we have Escape. Uh, and this is uh, Don't Stop Running. Does that imply that it's part of, uh, like there's a well, series Escape coming? Is part is the sequel to a book that came out last year called Chase. Yep. So there's two books together kind of make one story. And uh, yeah. Well, we'll talk all about that when we come back with my guest, Linwood Barkley. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, Linwood Barkley is my guest. We're talking about two books, one for the kids, one for a younger audience. What, yeah. What's the age range for well, Escape? It's funny, should the, you know, age, uh, Escape and the, the prequel to it, Chase, are sort of what they call middle grade. So I think that's somewhere like 8 to 13, 9 right. to 4, I don't know, that kind of age range. Not not quite young adult. Right. Although what's interesting is how many, I mean, my next door neighbor, Jan, who's in his 70s, he couldn't wait for part two to come out. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it appeals to the kid in all of us. But right. that's, but I mean, if you know, if it's, in, if it's in the catalog, it's in what they call middle grades, so sort of 8 to 13. And then there's a noise downstairs. That's the new novel. And this one's for adults or kids yeah. of all ages. I mean, I maybe we'll so. say that. I yeah. think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I want to talk then a little bit about the process then of writing. Uh, I keep saying, and you look at me skeptically every time <laughs> I say this, uh, but you you write a lot. You you panned out a lot of words. Um, and a lot of writers, I've had people through here who spend, you know, seven years working on a novel and that kind of thing. Was it the, the years of newspaper training that taught you how to write quickly and efficiently and every day and hit a word count and yeah. that sort of thing? Or is it just something from inside that drives you? Well, I think a lot of it has to, I mean, I've always worked quickly yeah. and, and I think a lot of it has to do with, does have to do with newspapers. Um, you know, I was at the Toronto Star for 27 years. I have 14 of those. I wrote three columns a week. And even before I started doing the column, working on the desk and, and being an editor, you're used to working quickly mm-hmm. and making your decisions quickly. You don't have the luxury of a lot of time. To- and every day, you know, you would think that on Monday, you okay, I got to write three columns. I'll write one about my dog, one about the <laughs> thing. And it doesn't work that no. way because you're responding to things that happen sort of moment to moment almost. Working in a newsroom is different than almost any other job. It really is. And what's amazing is that you you are publishing on a daily basis, sort of the equivalent in words of a book. Yeah. Every day. And there was a wonderful man named Borden Spears who used to be the Toronto Star's ombudsman and editor and so forth. And he said, "It's what's amazing is not how many mistakes a newspaper makes every day, but how many things they manage to get right. Right. With the limited <laughs> amount of time yep. uh, and resources that you have available. So I think that working on a newspaper uh, it teaches you to work quickly. And it's, you know, the, uh, when I hear writers say, well, it took me seven years to write this, I think, God, they rebuilt the World Trade Center for the last <laughs> time. Like, how could anything take that long? Although I have to make an exception. When I was reading, when I read uh, Wayne Johnson, I think, and I couldn't, if I had 12 years, I couldn't write this. But anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, uh, I, so it, it's not like you're waiting for the muse to strike. Yeah. If you do that in newspapers, then they'd say, well, let the muse strike you somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so, I mean, when I get up in the morning, I have a goal. I want to get about, I aim for like 2,000 words. And so if you can write 2,000 words a day, uh, at the end of the week, you've got 10,000 words in a, in two and a half, three months, you've got a book. Now that first draft may mean, you know, maybe you're not done, but, uh, how good that first draft is will determine how much more time you spend on it. But, you know, if you look at it like, oh my God, how many, I've got to write a book this year. We think, no, I just have to write, I want to get 2,000 words done mm-hmm. today. And, and I felt the same way with columns. Like, I thought, well, I have to do 140 columns a year. I just, I think I'll blow my brains out. Yeah. But you think, no, I just have to do one by Tuesday. 
and then I got to do one by Friday. And and you're right. You sometimes if I if I was writing a column about something that was kind of timeless, I might end up banking a few and right. have some ready to go. And then something happened in the news, and you think, well, I got to I want to do something on that. And so you switch gears in a hurry. Although I used to be saying that I I had. I had felt the time when I left the column, which was a little over 10 years ago, I thought it seemed like a safe time to go because uh, Mel Lastman was no longer mayor. And I thought <laughs> Toronto will never again have a mayor that's worth writing about that would preside that kind of material. So I thought it was safe to go. Yeah, you might have misjudged it uh, for oh, yeah. that, but the business has changed a great deal in that last 10 years. It has. I, yeah. think, I, I, think, I think I had I kind of picked a good time to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was it one of those things where it was just time you were sick of writing the columns or Oh no, I loved writing the columns. Yeah. Um, you know, I had I had written uh I started the column in 93 and uh and I started doing novels. First novel came out in 2004. And I and it was one a year, 2004, you know, and I, so I was writing a book a year and my 130 columns or whatever. And it was starting to kill me. It was, yeah. and I was using vacation time to finish a book and so forth. And uh, and the fifth book, the first four didn't do anything. The fifth book kind of went supernova. It did. We'd sold all over the world. It did. You know, it was the single best-selling novel in the UK in 2008. So I thought I can I can now make the decision. Right. I could I can be financially secured if I decide to give up. I mean, it was very hard to decide to. It was very hard to leave the start because you know I had a dental plan. Right, and, Who and quits a job with a dental plan. Absolutely, you know what I mean, yeah. So I thought, well, I think I and my wife said, you know, we can we can buy a plan somewhere. And <laughs> so, but it was very hard to give up because I the the having that column the column gig is the best thing ever. It's it's I mean, you get paid money to basically throw pies in the faces of people, you know, with, with 600 words. So it was it was a tough decision because I I love that job and I'm grateful to the star that they let me do it. I'm speaking with Linwood Barkley, uh, two books, Escape, Don't Stop Running. Uh, that one's for a younger audience and then There's a Noise Downstairs and It's Not What You Think uh, for uh, uh for everybody else. Yes. And uh those two books are on uh, on, you know, Book stands right now. The well, like, noise downstairs is coming. It's coming, and okay. it's 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 imminent. It's um, imminent. In fact, I'm uh, in July. I'll be gone a good part of July because I'm doing a week long tour in the UK for it, and then a week long US tour. So it's uh, it's we're it's almost here. It's almost it's here. Almost here. That well, noise in the basement is or downstairs is almost here. We're going to talk about it anyway, <laughs> so people can get excited about it. But we've we've got a minute left. Let's talk about Escape. Don't stop running. It is the sequel to mm -hmm. a book called uh, Chase. And you know why? Why look to a different audience? You know, I had I some of the best ideas I ever get just come in the middle of the night. I wake up and. You know, when I did that book, No Time for Goodbye, which was a huge hit, I woke up at 5 in the morning and it was all there. And I woke up at 2 a.m. once and I had this total – the whole idea was there about a dog that's part of a sort of secret program that is enhanced with all sorts of computer software. It can read. It can understand language. It can do – and it's the perfect surveillance device because if you want to send it into a, an enemy outpost or yeah. whatever, no who one's pays attention, pay attention to a dog? To the dog. Yeah. And, but this dog is going to be put down by the agency because its, it's canine instincts are still too, still too strong. It'd rather chase a squirrel than go after a spy. Yeah. And I just love the idea, but it wasn't an adult book. Right. It was really a book for a younger audience, and I thought, well, it's too guy, too good an idea to not do, and so I thought, I guess I'm going to write a couple of books for for kids, for younger, for because it was just too good a story to not do. I'm speaking with Linwood Barkley. We were just talking about Escape, Don't Stop Running. Don't read that one first. 
Rechase pick first. up Chase yeah. first, and then uh, and then escape, and then soon in July or August you will be able to read. There's a noise downstairs, uh, the new book for adults. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. I want to talk about a noise downstairs and see what's going on with that book. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. I'm excited to have Linwood Barkley in the studio. We're talking about two different books. Uh, you know Linwood Barkley, though, uh, from lots of things. You're a number one international, international best-selling author. Uh, the books are uh, The 23, Far From True, Broken Promise, Never Saw It Coming, has been made into a film, yeah. which just played at a film festival in New York City. That's right. Gail Harvey is, directed. That's right. Gail Harvey, who, a Canadian director, uh, who has done a lot of stuff took yep. a lot of, of television uh, so uh, we we it's funny Gail and I reconnected because we used to work together at the star years ago and then oh she both, was a photographer probably right. at the star back then photo, yeah. photo editor and and then we both have places in Prince Edward County we reconnected and she said have you got some book that hasn't been optioned and I said never saw it coming as one of my shorter novels I think it's almost like a Coen Brothers movie and, right. and so she read it loved it I wrote the script on spec she got the money it got made we made it last year Eric Roberts is in it Emily Hampshire from, yeah I love Emily Hampshire. And, so, and uh, Katie Boland, and it's it's a really great little thriller. So it's kind of doing the festival circuit right now. We did the Whistler Festival uh, last fall. It was at the Soho International Film Festival in New York just recently. We went down for that. So we're just working out, you know, getting it out there to a wider audience. But it's a really, it's a neat little thriller. Yeah, the film festival circuit, I think, for a film that you would describe as a neat little thriller, that's the way to do it. You yeah. start a buzz, you get you know people talking, you get it in front of an audience that will write about it, that will talk about it, and then when it comes out, people will know already. But you already have a television series in France. The yeah, accident that, was... They made, actually, it's funny, they made it two years ago. Uh, we went over for part of it, and the star is a very big named French actor named Bruno Solo. He was, in, he was in so many things that they didn't want to run any of his shows concurrently on different <laughs> networks. So they'd run it, and they'd already run it in Belgium. They had It's available on a U.S. streaming service called Acorn TV. So they finally ran it a couple weeks ago and on uh, France 3, that network, yeah. and the ratings were great. So... Um, Will there be a second series? Well, or? it's funny. They, there was one. There was speculation. Uh, one one of the French media outlets said, "Will there be?" Uh, it's based on my book, "The Accident." Yeah. So it's called "L'Accident," and they said, "Will there be a second season of 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 that?" And I said to, and there is no second yeah. book. There's no yeah. follow up. But I said to the producer, I said, "Well, why don't you take this other book of mine and just use and just use that story and take those characters?" He said, "I'm already thinking about it." Wow. So we could be done, but yeah. we'll see. But it was it was uh, it's it's a really well done series. Like they six episodes, and they f I mean the location and the names have all been changed yeah. for a French audience. But they followed the plot to the letter. They did a nice job of it. That's exciting. Very much. It's exciting to see this stuff. It must be as an author to see something that just was swirling around in your head in the middle of the night. You sat bolt upright and said, that's a good idea. I'll write that down. And then to see it realized on the screen or on television or something. It's a bit surreal. You know, it's still a bit hard to believe, you know. Um, you know, when we went to the screening and there, and there it is. I mean, I'm looking at this movie and I'm thinking – Wow, I wrote this. You know, it's yeah. just kind of it is it's it's a little bit hard to to put together. Yeah, from Fenland Falls to New York City. <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> when I I ran a I've been I ran a in Bob Cage and I ran a cottage resort and trailer park and one of my duties every day was to bury the fish guts. I feel <laughs> you know, in some ways in some ways there's a lot of analogies there. There's a lot of comparison. You're just shoveling one kind of thing and then another onto onto a screen somewhere. But I just feel that this I, I can say whatever frustrations there are in any of this work, it beats 
burying the fish guts of yeah. the catch that the guys every day they dump the rest you know the stuff in a can and I would go bury it in the woods so this is better than that this is better than that it's, I it's even twice as good <laughs> yeah if you had to put it on a scale yeah, you a, know it's above there yeah it's above that I would say I would put it in sort of order there's so up here is screenwriting and writing books and then down here is burying fish guts and then below that is working in Donald Trump's cabinet <laughs> that's right oh that's a, we, we can talk about that for a whole I other know, show. I know. Let's talk about A Noise Downstairs. So this is the new novel. It's not out exactly right this second, but it will be July, Thursday. August. July, it's, it's sort of mid-July. It's going to be out. It's it's out a little bit earlier in the UK and yep. then just a little bit later here. And, well, yeah. UK audiences love thrillers. They, they do. love oh, crime. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, from, I I don't know, is it because they embraced Agatha Christie early on, or does it, is it because of Jack the Ripper? What is it? I don't know. You know what? And also, like, France is really huge on crime fiction, which you might be, like, Harlan Coben is one of the biggest writers in France. Yeah. You know. But yeah, they really love their crime fiction. I mean, Peter James is huge. Lee Childe, they're just massive uh, bestsellers over there. So they do like their crime, and, and I feel lucky to break into that market. I mean, that's... The UK is actually my my top number one market for all everywhere anywhere in the world where I'm published. Even more, more than Canada, yeah, more than Canada by ratio, yeah, yep. yeah. Wow. Uh, so a noise downstairs. Uh, what's it about? This I think it's the best thing I've done since No Time for Goodbye ten years ago. So, so uh, it's about a guy named Paul who discovers a friend of his actually trying to dispose of two bodies and nearly ends up dead himself and he's been sort of traumatized about it and we move ahead a few months and he's trying to come to terms with what happened to him and he thinks maybe it would be helpful if he wrote about it. He's a college professor. And his wife buys for him, just as a kind of object art, you know, a piece yeah. of art, a beautiful old Underwood manual typewriter. And and it's not that he's going to write on it, but it's just kind of inspiring because he loves these old, you know, now kind of extinct machines. And he starts hearing in the night, he hears this, and he's hearing the typewriter in the night. And is he is he really hearing it? Is he losing his marbles? Is there something wrong? And once he starts rolling a sheet of paper into it before he goes to bed tonight and sees what shows up in the morning, he starts to wonder, are those 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 people that died are they somehow trying to reach out to him but again is it is it really happening is he is he imagining it is he imagining these sounds or is there something else even more sinister going on i think it's the creepiest book i've ever done it sounds like something that roman polanski might have directed in about 1968 <laughs> or 9 you know just after making repulsion yeah, and yeah. before rosemary's baby yeah yeah, so I I've had a lot of fun doing this book, and like I said, I think it's I think it has more twists. I've, no, I've I have I don't know anybody who's 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 read it and got to the end who saw where it was going. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of research, if any, do you do for this? Do you talk to police? Do you you know uh, do you do you have you interviewed criminals? Do you try and get into that mindset? How does that work? I you know I I I don't do it an awful lot. I, first of all, I kind of set my books in the world that I know, so. And and I'm not writing about, you know, spies or forensic right, experts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, a lot of that stuff just bores me. I'm more yeah. interested in, in people and the relationships. That's what my books are about more. But there are times when I need to know need to know something. Right. Maybe it's maybe it's a sort of a DNA question. But sometimes it's totally unrelated. Like when I did a book called Fear the Worst, this is very funny. A few years ago I was at an event with Lisa Gardner in, in England and she she's a massive researcher. Like she went on the body farm where they see how yeah. bodies decompose right. and she was so proud that she didn't actually throw up. And I said, well, my kind of research is when I when I was writing Fear the Worst, uh, the hero was a car salesman. And I wanted to know everything about the car sales business. So I took two retired 
uh, car salesman, friends of mine for lunch and said, tell me everything about what really goes on in selling cars. And they did, and I said, and I did throw up. But, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I, sometimes there's a certain industry that I think there's a backdrop. And I think, well, I need to know about that. Right. And, so, uh, and so sometimes it's not, it's not necessarily the kind of research you think you would do. I'm speaking with Linwood Barkley. Uh, we're talking about two books. Right now we're talking about A Noise Downstairs. It'll be out in July. That one's for the adults. And then there's a book for the younger people called Escape, Don't Stop Running. It is the sequel to Chase, which came out a couple of years ago. Uh, both, well, the, the Chase and Escape, bestsellers, they're doing well. Yeah, they're doing great. They're doing, doing just fine. Do you, uh, do you uh, look at the charts, the bestseller charts, or is that just something that you like to people, you like to check Twitter and go, hey, look, someone's told me that I'm number one. Oh, no, I mean, you, I mean, anybody who says they don't look who writes is lying. <laughs> um, I look, I mean, one thing I stopped care, worrying about are the, when you get a one-star review on Amazon. Right. I yeah. just, I don't, because you never know what the motivations are. And the other thing is sometimes someone will say, there's a hilarious review on Amazon of Chase, the kids' book, and they said, I didn't realize this was a book for kids. I thought it was one of the adult thrillers, so I'm giving it one star right. because I didn't read the cover and understand that it was a book for yeah, kids. Yeah. Or I, I'm giving it one star because it was delivered late. Yeah, no, or there's, there's reviews on Amazon that are like, uh, I took it to the cottage, and it was so hot up there, I couldn't enjoy myself. Yes, I one, give this one star. One star, yeah. I know. So you kind of start worrying about those. Um, you get You kind of get a thicker skin over time. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, who doesn't want to hit the list? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's great. What was it like the first time you hit the list? Well, the first time was, it was insane. I mean, when, when No Time for Goodbye came out in paperback in 2000, 10 years ago in the UK. Actually, you know what? We'll pick it up on Stay. the other side of the break. Stay, Stay with us. We're, we're talking with Linwood Barkley. Uh, the books are Escape, Don't Stop Running, and A Noise Downstairs, which will be in fine and not-so-fine bookstores and available <laughs> for legal downloads uh, starting in July. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. Linwood Barkley is my guest. Uh, two books coming right now. There's a million books in the stores already. But Escape's out. Escape is out in stores right now. And then A Noise Downstairs uh, is uh, coming in July. Yes. And you will be everywhere. You're going to the United States. You're going to the yeah. UK. You're going to do a, a big press tour. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll be gone. I'm doing a UK tour that for a week. Most of it's coming, going out of London. And then I'm going to, there's a festival every year called the Theakston's Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival. That is the they greatest got, title this, for a this festival year, ever. This year, the headliners are, I can't believe I'm on this list, but it's uh, John Grisham, Sophie Hanna, uh, Don Winslow, Laura Lippman, me, uh, are the main sort of the, the, the supposed draws. Wow. And, um, and then I'm home for 48 hours, and then I'm doing a U.S. tour for Noise Downstairs. And of course, right in the dead of summer, mm -hmm. I'm doing Arizona, yeah. Texas. So they're going to send me home in a bucket. There'll be yeah. just this little puddly mass. That's me. right. That's right. A suntan. That's right. Oh. Drooly mess. Like, well. It's like walking through a pizza oven at all these locations. <laughs> well, the the book um, will no doubt do well. Your books have, have really taken off. Stephen King is a giant fan. How did that happen? That was crazy. I found that out sort of by accident. I'd heard from, well, someone who's now my, my current editor in New York. She had written me a few years ago because there was a character name uh, in one of my books that she wondered if it was related to a name of a person at the star uh, who was her uncle and was, in fact, where I got the idea. That's of the funny. Name. And she had said, well, I had this book recommended to me by one of my authors. She's an editor who's uh, a guy named Joe Hill, and he, who, of course, is actually Stephen King's son. Right? Yeah. And said so Joe had had it recommended by his father. And I went, 
wait a minute. Yeah. I, can put, I can put joy in his thoughts. And then, and then about that time, um, uh, King had written, uh, and he had a column in Entertainment uh, Weekly yep. for a while, and he wrote a couple times about books of mine that he just had loved them. And then I got to meet him for the first time about four or five years ago. As he, he had put a reference from one of my books into Dr. Sleep. <laughs> and then in a book a couple of years ago, Bizarre Bad Dreams, there's a character actually reading a Linwood Barclay novel. But anyway, so we've kind of connected a bit. Um, you know, I, I had said, do you want an advanced copy of Noise Downstairs? He said, yes. He wrote this wonderful note back. And then he said, he sent me, a, you know, The Outsider is the big bestseller. And mm-hmm. he sent that to me three months ago and, and for an advance. So he's, he's, I mean, it's Mutual Admiration Society. I mean, I've been an immense fan of his since, you know, we went to see the movie Carrie in 76 yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm a huge, huge fan. And he tells me he's read everything I've done. And so it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. He seems like a, a consumer of popular culture. He yep. still goes to the movies. He reads yep. everything. He listens to music. He is that oh, guy yeah. still. And I think maybe you have to have that kind of voracious appetite to continue writing interesting things. I'm amazed by not only by how much he can consume, you know, in terms of media, but what his his still his output. Mm-hmm. Because I think that uh, you know, I mean, a person with that long a career right now, they'd be entitled to coast. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and a lot of authors, I think, at that stage do. But he's writing some of the most ambitious stuff he's ever done. I mean, last year he did this amazing book, Sleeping Beauties, with his son. He did, I think, eleven twenty two sixty three, the book about yep. a guy going back to stop the Kennedy assassination, which he wrote about six years ago, is an absolute masterpiece. That's one of the best books he's ever done. So here's somebody at that stage who's still working so hard at his craft, and it's really impressive. It's really interesting when you find and, and meet someone like that, or, or, or at least experience it. I went to see Elvis Costello uh, a mm-hmm. while ago, last or earlier this year, I think, or maybe it was late last year, and he was doing the Imperial Bedroom Tour. Mm-hmm. I am a giant Elvis Costello geek. He is 63 or four years old. He's at the point in his career, we come out and play for an hour and or an hour and a half and play Allison over and over again, and people would leave and go, that was an amazing show. Oh, I loved every second of it. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he did the Imperial Ballroom album from start to finish, uh, but in radically reimagined ways. So he rearranged all the songs. So some of them were barely recognizable. Oh, yeah. uh, in between, every now and again, he'd play one of his hit songs. Uh, and then he took an intermission. And then he came back and played for another hour and a half or so. The show was almost three hours long. Wow. And he played songs that he had written the day before and was reading lyrics off a, an iPad. And he he played piano, guitar. He sang uh, unaccompanied with no microphone. He's, he sings very loudly. And to sort of display that, he filled the Sony Center with his voice. But I left that theater so inspired because you've got this guy who could coast, as you yeah. say, and doesn't. Yep. And I wonder, I wonder what drives people because you see it and you can tell when people are coasting. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, I'm uh, my close to that. My I'm the one who's obsessed with Diana Krall. Who yeah, yeah. To- adore her stuff. I just absolutely adore her stuff. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of artists who really do. They just figure, well, I put in, I paid my dues. It doesn't matter what I write, people will buy it. Yep. Uh, and so it's, it doesn't matter. And and I'm not going to name the authors who I think are like that, but we know they're out there. Yeah. And, 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 and Stephen King is not one of them. How do you fight against that? How do you we talked earlier about finding the formula and then sort of straying from we talked about Colombo, but how do you fight and how do you know when something's good? I am sometimes 
guilty of getting a little too close to something that mm-hmm. I've written. I, I spent a couple of years, uh, about two and a half years, writing one of my books because it was a, a an intense research project, and I had to track down people, and it took years to find some of these people. And I was so close to it by the time it was done that I had to put it away for a while. My editor just yeah. disappeared with it for a while because I couldn't tell anymore. Oh, I think that's so true. I think that, I mean, that the day after I finished writing No Time for Goodbye, the biggest hit I've ever had, I read it from beginning to end and I thought, this is the worst piece of junk yeah. I have ever read. And you get so, I think the thing is, you get so close to something, you lose perspective. And you and I think you get you get so close, you can't see what's not working. Right. But you also don't see what is working. Right. And, and you really need another set of eyes and people to read stuff because you just, you lose perspective on it. And it's also all your sort of blood and sweat is in it. Like it's, it's exhausted you. Mm-hmm. So it's, sometimes it's hard to look at it with much affection. And so it, it really, I mean, I've had, there's one of my books, uh, which I'm least fond of, which I won't bother to name, yeah. but you know, people come and say, oh, my favorite book of yours is such and such. And it seems rude to argue with them, yeah. you know, to say, no, I'm sorry, you're wrong. That <laughs> book is rubbish, but they love it. So yeah. you just, it's, I mean, I have, I'm a huge fan. I love, you know, Bruce McCall, the mm-hmm. satirist who does covers for the New Yorker. And I'm sort of friends with him. And I was, one of his books, I said, I absolutely love this particular comic illustration. And he looked at me with such disdain. He said, really? Yeah, yeah. He said, I hate that piece. He said, I've lost all respect for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's funny. I'm speaking with Linwood uh, Barkley, Escape in uh, stores right now, A Noise Downstairs, the new novel coming in July. Uh, it's funny. I think when you are an artist, when you're a writer or musician, actor, whatever, when you put something out, you have to be prepared to live with it. And you have to be prepared that people are going to have various reactions from it. I remember Jim Cuddy one time telling me about the song Try. And he goes, when I wrote it, he said, I I didn't, I was, I was trying to write a song that was kind of like a soul song, kind of a love song. It's not written about anybody. It doesn't really mean anything to me. It was more of an experiment. He goes, I didn't know I was going to end up singing it 45,000 times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, people kind of imprint their own experience experience onto your work. Absolutely. And you and often are very surprised at the effect something has on something because a lot of times it has to do with what's happening in your life when you read a particular book or see a particular movie and it touches you in a way that the the creator can't I expect. Yeah. But you love it because, I mean, I always remember a particular Roddy Doyle book that I read and loved because I sat and read it while I sat next to the hospital bed while my aunt was was right. dying. Right. And so I always associate that book with that period. It doesn't mean that book's his best or anything like that, but it means, it has a, has a, it's special to me. And and I, I, that's the things that often is, is kind of the unexpected reward when you do something is how a book touches someone that you in a way you couldn't have imagined. Well, I think part of it, though, is is obviously what you put in. Uh, and when you create characters, you create compelling characters that people want to learn about. People want to feel that they're that they that they that they understand when you start writing a book. And do you start on page one? Yeah. Well, yeah. usually sometimes that may not be page one by the end. Yeah, that's else. him. But yeah. when but do you know who the character is when you sit down to write or do things morph and change along the way? Kind of morph and change along the way. Before I start, I'm more a guy who has to know what the story is and what the kind of structure is. Um, you know, I was compared to building a house. I need to know, I need to know the foundation and I need you know, to know the floor plan and all that sort of stuff and then I could write it. Right. And then I go back and I paint the rooms and I decorate it and so forth and give it some texture and that, and that may be where there's more work done on character. But I need to have a, a really, I don't have the whole story figured out, but I need to know where I'm going to end up and I kind of need to know who's done what when I start. 
Linwood Barkley is in studio. Escape, Don't Stop Running, Part Two. Uh, will there be a Part Three? Will be. I, well, I guess we'll we'll see. That Chase does. The first book does end on a cliffhanger. Right. Escape does. The second book does wrap things up at the end. But there's always a door you can open. Yep. Yeah. And then a noise downstairs in, uh, I keep wanting to say in theaters right now. Maybe eventually it'll Maybe. be in theaters, but Who it's in knows? bookstores. It's, uh, a, it's a natural, I mean, really. It, 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 we were talking about that earlier, uh, you know, seeing your stuff uh, presented uh, on the screen and that kind of thing. Do you ever write uh, with, an, with an eye towards that when you're writing these things, or is it all just? I don't deliberately write, but I, but I, you know, I'm, when I'm writing, I see a story that I'm writing playing out in my head as if it were a movie. Right. So I'm not writing it with the intent that it would become a movie, but I think I just see it that way when I write so it. You so you think I, cinematically. So I do. And I, so I think some, that's why I think some of my books, there's have been interest and there's been options because I think they would, they would convert well, they translate well to film. What are you working on right now? Right now I'm writing, well, I, I've, I, next year's book, I have a, a first draft pretty well put together, which is, the really coolest idea ever, and I don't even want to tell you a word okay. about it. And the same is true. I mean, I, right now, I'm writing a, pro, a book that if it were to, if it comes out, it'd be in 2020, and it's a kind of Michael Crichtonish kind of of uh, of so it's a little more. It's a little Coma? more. No, well, <laughs> but it, but this it is about a kind of a misplaced faith in technology. Oh, interesting. And so I think it's it's a little different than what I've done, but I'm having a blast writing it. And writing 2,000 words a day. Yep. Like today, much. the the day you're in here, you're going to a meeting after this. Yeah. You write a thing last night. Will you still find time to write? No, I won't words get it done today. I, I so you've completely messed things up. For me. Sorry, but the book's uh, going to be but, a day late now no, but, because of me. But you know what I'll do is I'll, I'll I've lost I've I kind of the last couple of days have been busy with things, yeah. so I'll probably feel that I'll work Saturday, and right. if I can crank out a couple thousand words on Saturday, I'll probably get eight thousand for the week, and I think okay, I can live with that. My guest in studio has been Linwood Barkley. Look for Escape in stores right now. Uh, and then A Noise Downstairs comes out in July. You'll see him if you're in the U.K. What's the name of the festival? Oh, it's the it, well, it's in Harrogate. It's, the, it's, it's in Harrogate, lovely town. It's the third time I've been there. It's the Theakston's Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival. I love that so much. Look for him there, and then you'll see him popping up on television shows and radio shows all across the U.S. in the next little while. Uh, thanks for coming in. Richard, it's been a huge pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Andre on the board. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.